Let's sing one more. <laughs> Let us read responsively our litany of invitation and confession printed in your order of service. Let us rejoice in the freedom of God. God's freedom calls us toward an ever-changing reformation. God's freedom invites us to intimacy with God. God's freedom demands action and responsibility and relationship. Let us bask in God's freedom, and let us find the courage to live into God's freedom by speaking the truth, by forgiving ourselves and others, and by loving one another. We confess that God's freedom is both liberating and demanding. We confess that we have not loved God, our neighbors, our enemies, or ourselves as Christ has commanded. We ask for God's forgiveness. We pause for a moment of silent confession. Sisters and brothers, we are forgiven. Let us live fully into the grace of God. We lift our voices in gratitude and in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. As we gather on this day, it is a day that uh, we celebrate being together with one another as God's people, and we welcome those of you who are guests among us. Some of our folk are out traveling this weekend, but you have traveled to be here, and we celebrate being together. Uh, if you're a guest today, there is on the edge of your order of worship a welcome a response card. You'd complete that and drop it in the offering plate. It'll help me connect name and face with you. 
And then for anyone who would like to make a prayer request, feel free to place that on that card as well. Drop it in the plate, and it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. Well, this Sunday has a name. As you see from the front cover of the Order of Worship, it's called Reformation Sunday because we celebrate the last Sunday in October because it was on All Saints' Eve, a hundred, All Hallows' Eve, a hundred, uh, 501 years ago that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. The picture on your order of worship is from right up there. You'll see the stack of papers with the two nails, the hasp, the hinge of the door, and then below it, Luther's symbol, the herald rose. So we celebrate the freedom that came through the gift of the Reformation, and we share in the scriptures that were some of Luther's favorite today, uh, following uh, the, uh, the time with the children, Don Janney will be reading a piece of the famous statement that Martin Luther made at the Diet of Worms. It's a closing argument, and he'll be reading it in German. And then following that, then we will stand and sing the German hymn, the Luther hymn, A Mighty Fortress uh, is Our God. Dan, Daniel will be preaching today on the concept of mercy. It's an aspect of grace. So that's the day ahead. Now, we all walked in here with a pall pulled over our souls, did we not? From 72 hours of bombs being mailed, of 11 being killed in a synagogue, a sacred space and sanctuary of worship, for two being killed in a parking lot, almost another church shooting just before that, along with all of the gun murders that happen every day on our streets. There's a pall that's pulled over our souls. I'll be praying about that. You'll be praying about that. And, and we hold that, and the people, the congregation, especially that it's affected by these, as well as, as, well as all of us. So, let's tune hearts and minds and listen to the scriptures. We read today from the 46th Psalm, a psalm that speaks of confidence in God and God's steadfastness. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. For though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of that city and shall not be moved. God will be with it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. God utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, let us behold the works of the Lord. 
See what desolations he has brought upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shields with fire. So be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Here ends the first lesson. Yesterday afternoon, I received a voicemail from one of our elder members. The voicemail said, Do you know what's happening in Pittsburgh? A synagogue has been attacked. Eleven have been killed. Six have been injured. Some of them policemen. This world is going completely insane. I called Nancy Davis, the elder who left me that message, back. And I said, thank you, Nancy. That sounds like a call to prayer for me. And so let us pray. O God, to whom all thoughts are known, to whom all actions are seen, and to whom all people are worth loving. We pray for those families and communities among whom, among whom the bloody boots of violence have once again walked. We pray for the preyed upon. But we confess that we have run out of words. And so we prayer amateurs turn to the sounds of the prayer professionals, the psalmists and the prophets. We pray the groan of the prophet Isaiah as he shakes a fist and says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations may tremble at your presence. For in olden times you did. You did awesome deeds that we did not expect. You came down and the mountains quaked at your power. We groan at the frustration of the prophet Isaiah. We moan with the psalmist whose words are in the 22nd Psalm, whose words were found on the dying lips of our Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? We want intervention and what we feel is absence. And we feel guilty for feeling it. Let's not be mad at God, some say, but be mad at the godless those who pull the triggers, those who assemble the bombs, those who escalate the anger. But, oh God, we need your help so as to act responsively and not react. But that line is so subjective. We need your discernment. We pray for the welfare of our Phoenix city. May the moral leadership rise up and rise to the occasion. And so we reach for words that are larger than ours, Jesus' words. But let us listen to them as we say them today, so that we hear ourselves say that our own forgiveness about sins and trespasses is bound in our ability to forgive others.
Let us hear ourselves pray that you, O God, will not lead us into temptation, for we are tempted all the time. Tempted to address violence with more violence. Tempted to use denigrating speech. Tempted to be apathetic. After all, there is so much madness and so many guns everywhere. We could shrug and say the genie's already out of the bottle. But if apathy wins, we have given in to temptation and we have settled for evil. So I and we pray for those in our congregation who are discerning and taking action, like those in Mother's Demand Action, like those involved with outcry, those in our church who are seeking common sense ways of addressing an epidemic. And so on this Reformation Sunday, we pray that we are being reformed, even as we say the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray by saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul speaks of his indebtedness to many who have enriched his life, and of his gratitude to God, who makes faith possible. Of these verses, Martin Luther said, From this passage, I concluded that life must be derived from faith. Then the entire Holy Scripture became clear to me, and heaven itself was opened to me. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Here ends the second lesson. Boys and girls, come join me on the chancel steps. And I'll show you what I've got in my toolbox. Tell you what, I'll sit right here and you all can sit right there, okay? I'm going to tell you, isn't this cool? It is. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you a story today 
about a man with a hammer. No, that's not the mighty Thor. Thank you very much, Kurt. You do like Thor. Well, cool. I do too. (laughs) So, I'm going to tell you about a man with a hammer. His name was Martin Luther, and he lived a long, long time ago. 500 years ago. And he wanted to talk to his church and everybody about God. He wanted to talk about God's love and about how much God loves us. And so he had to think, how will I talk to people about God and tell everybody this? And so he didn't have iPads back then. Can you believe that? He didn't have cell phones or iPhones back then. I know. I'm getting an iPad for Christmas. All right. Well, uh, I have some things I want to talk with you about. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, He didn't have email. He didn't have Instagram. So how would Martin Luther talk to everybody and want to talk to everybody without all of the Internet stuff we have today? The answer is... He took his hammer and some sheets of paper and nailed them to the church door. Now, the reason I brought this toolbox is this is one that my grandfather made. Aunt Jane uh, knows of my grandfather. And he made this hammer handle. He was a carpenter. In fact, there is a hammer handle that he made that he never put on a hammer. It was made 50 years ago. Here's another kind of hammer. It's called a ball-peen hammer. He made this hammer handle as well. And so, just imagine what it would be like if one of these hammers would be something like Martin Luther used, and then he nailed all those pieces of paper on the door to talk with the world about how much God loves us and God. Do Do you think he tapped very lightly like, Do you think he, he tapped no, very lightly? Like I think you're probably right. I think he went. That's right, because he wanted to talk to everybody. I don't think you need to nail anything to your the house door at home, especially don't, don't nail your new iPad that you're going to get for Christmas. Uh, But why don't you go tell your mommies and daddies, I want to talk about God. Would you talk with me, mommy and daddy? I want to talk about how God loves everybody and God loves me. Would you talk with me, mommy and daddy? And I bet they will. All right, let's say a prayer. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for a guy named Martin Luther who wanted to talk to the world about God and even used a hammer to do it. Amen. Amen. All right. Bye-bye. In 1520, Pope Leo X issued a bull of excommunication against Martin Luther. On the first day of his appearance at the Diet of Worms in April of 1521, 
Luther was asked whether he acknowledged authorship of a list of his works that had been determined to be in error. He did acknowledge authorship of the works, and then he was asked whether he was willing to recant the errors allegedly contained in them. Unwilling to answer impulsively, Luther asked for 24 hours in which to deliberate his response. That request was granted. On the following day, the examination reconvened in the presence of the Holy Roman Emperor and the assembled princes of the empire. Luther was interrogated by Johann von Ecken, who was an administrative official of the empire. Luther did not compose his remarks for reading from a manuscript, but spoke, but spoke impromptu. Here is the concluding portion of Luther's remarks as spoken in German. Weil den Ora Majestät und die Herrschaften eine anfache Antwort begehren, so will ich eine geben, die weder Höhne noch Zähne hat. Wenn ich nicht durch Schriftzeugnisse oder heile Gründe würde überwunden werden, denn ich glaube weder dem Papst noch den Kanzelien allein, weil versteht, dass sie öfter geirrt und sich selbst widersprochen haben. So bin ich überwunden durch die von mir angeführten Schriften und mein Gewissen gewängen in Gottes Worten. Widerrufen kann ich nichts und will ich nichts, weil wieder das Gewissen zu handeln beschwerlich und sicher und nicht lauter ist. And then these words, which were probably not spoken that day, but were added later for some dramatic effect. Here stay ich, ich kann nicht anders. Gott helfe mir. Amen.
Please remain standing for the gospel lesson. In it, a blind man uses his voice to call upon Jesus for mercy. Jesus hears him. The man comes to Jesus, and he is healed. A reading from the gospel according to Mark. And they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were later leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed Jesus on the way. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, leaving Jericho behind. And there was a big crowd following him. It's a caravan headed for the border of the holy city. When all of a sudden, a man cried out to him for mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he said. The man needed mercy. One of our Wednesday morning Bible study participants defined mercy as getting a gift that we don't deserve. I like that as a working definition because I think this man knew a thing or two about not getting what he deserved. I mean, being in that kind of need is the perfect place to receive mercy. The man's name was Bartimaeus, he was a beggar. And he was blind. You remember that story from the Gospel of John when Jesus heals the blind man? And his disciples assumed he deserved it, didn't they? Who sinned, they asked Jesus, this man or his parents? And perhaps they were saying that kind of thing about Bartimaeus. Sinner, they'd sneer. How else would you explain his misery? I'm sure they tolerated him, let him sit in the dirt, his cloak spread out before him to catch the occasional coin, but he needed to stay in his lane, as we say these days, follow the rules. Well, Mark tells us that Bartimaeus broke the rules. He cried out for mercy in a loud voice, and he should have known better because that is not allowed. And the Gospels tell us that many ordered him to be quiet. Why do you think they tried to silence him? Maybe they had rules about begging, just like we do today. Here's a rule. Never be seen actually enjoying your life. 
That's an important rule. If you're having too much fun, people won't give you any money. Another rule, never be seen buying something that the upper classes enjoy. Don't do that. Because they'd see you weren't staying in your lane. You're creeping over into their class system. That might make them feel violated. So don't get a TV or a cell phone or have a decent car or eat expensive food. Don't do that. Because somebody's uncle at Thanksgiving will tell a story about how he doesn't give charity anymore because he once saw a poor person at Kroger's using food stamps to buy camembert. Another rule, always show gratitude for receiving money. If you didn't manage a smile or a thank you, you might never get another coin. No, even if you're hurting all over, even if you're starving and naked, even when you're spat upon and cursed for begging, be sure to say, thank you. I don't know, maybe he stepped out of his lane on one of these rules. Or maybe his request for mercy exposed the crowd as ones who were without mercy. After all, what did it say about Jericho that a blind man had to beg for money to stay alive? Maybe they had let him continue in his utter poverty. Maybe their lack of mercy was in danger of being exposed to Jesus. I don't know why they told him to shut up, but he would not shut up. In fact, he got louder. Have mercy on me, he cried out. He'd broken all the rules, all the little unwritten and unsaid rules of how the poor are to conduct themselves. And Jesus, instead of allowing the crowd to silence Bartimaeus, he has them call him over. You know, I think Jesus didn't care much for all the little rules that people had. The accumulation of centuries of cruelty and neglect, the institutionalization of a virtual caste system of God's children. No, Jesus didn't care too much for our little rules. It was a good thing for Bartimaeus that Jesus had his own rule. We might call it the mercy rule. Do you know about this thing called the mercy rule? And you might have heard it from the world of sports. When we were living in Texas, we'd take the kids to go see the high schoolers that was in their school that play in their little division. It was a six-man team. And by the time I had gotten back to the stands with my hot dog, the score would be 49 to nothing. I don't know how they got into the end zone seven times. I really don't. But it'd be halftime, and the game was already over. So, so the mercy rule says that if the score gets too high, there won't be a second half. Or it might say the clock won't stop running by mutual consent of the coaches and referee. But you know, most sports throughout human history have been totally without mercy. I mean, of course. That's why we watch them, Right? From the gladiators of ancient Rome to the gladiators of college football, the crowds love to pour it on when somebody is getting stomped on. The worst example that I know of of when the mercy rule should have been used was in 1916, when Georgia Tech beat Little Cumberland College near my hometown in Lebanon, Tennessee. The final score, 222 to 0. That's 32 touchdowns. 
It probably didn't help that Cumberland's baseball team had beaten Georgia Tech 22-0 earlier that season. There was no mercy, and there was no mercy rule. And there seems to be no mercy today. For those fleeing gun violence, no mercy. I mean, it was just around this time last year that First Baptist Church Sutherland Springs, November of last year, was the site of unspeakable violence when a mass shooter murdered 26 people. And we all know that yesterday a synagogue in Pittsburgh was the site of deep, murderous rage by an anti-Semite. Why do we cry out, Kyrie eleison Christe eleison, each time a tragedy occurs? Because we feel we are powerless to stop it. Yes, mercy seems to be in very short supply. But if we watch carefully, we'll see that mercy is contagious. Did you notice in the gospel reading what some in the crowd did when they saw how Jesus responded? They tried to silence him, but Jesus asked for Bartimaeus to be called over. So they went to Bartimaeus and said, Take heart, get up, God is calling you. I mean, how do we account for that radical change in the crowd? They went from shutting him down to helping him up. Maybe it was because those who experience God's mercy are expected to show it to others. Isn't that the idea behind the line we just prayed from the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Suddenly, things were turning around for Bartimaeus. So he approaches Jesus, and Jesus asks him the same question that he had already asked James and John. We heard about that preach last week. question is, what do you want me to do for you? And while James and John had sought their own advancement for their glory, Bartimaeus just asked for his sight back. Rabboni, he said, which means, teacher, let me see again. Let me see again. And Jesus doesn't touch Bartimaeus like he'd done in other miracles. He doesn't command his eyes to open. He just says, go. Your faith has made you well. He asked for vision while James and John asked for glory. James and John could see with their eyes, but they were blind to the reality that was in front of them. It turns out Bartimaeus didn't need to see with his eyes in order to know he was in the presence of God. James and John had full use of their faculties, and they were blind, more blind than Bartimaeus to what was in front of their very eyes. And it turns out that those who have been brought low by disease and misfortune By poverty and by pain, they know a thing or two about needing mercy. While many who have had their whole lives provided for them, it may have never occurred to ask for mercy. And when Bartimaeus asked to see again, Jesus says that his faith had saved him. And I wonder, what kind of faith did this man have? That's some kind of faith. What kind of faith led him to cry out for mercy when everybody knew that blind beggars shouldn't be afforded an audience? 
Perhaps his faith was similar to the kind that Martin Luther had that made him stand up and call for a culture of grace and mercy in the church. Perhaps it was faith as Luther once defined as a living and unshakable confidence, a belief in the grace of God so assured that a man would die a thousand deaths for its sake. Well, you know, my faith hasn't always been unshakable. Sometimes it's felt quite shaky. My faith hasn't always been living. It has sometimes been withering. My faith hasn't always been so assured. It has needed reassuring. But there is an exception to that. I mean, there have been some times now that I think about it that my faith was so solid that no person could talk me out of it. So unshakable that no words or action could take away its power I can think of a few times. Like that one time I wrecked my car and the world turned upside down and the shriek of metal and glass filled my ears and I had time for one word which I screamed slowly, Jesus. They say there are no atheists in foxholes and there are none in car wrecks either. Why did I cry out? because I was in desperate need of mercy. Bartimaeus' faithful cry for mercy has so penetrated into the minds and hearts of the church that it has entered our liturgy and our hymnody. Kyrie eleison, Christ eleison, we chant. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy, we say. We say it when the hurricanes threaten our safety and our land, and our children, because we are powerless in its grasp. We say it on the gurney as they wheel us into surgery, powerless about what will happen next. We say it when anti-Semitism in a culture of gun violence drives a man to assault Jews at a bris in naming ceremony at the Tree of Life synagogue. Christ have mercy, we say. We ask for mercy. It is the deep stirring within God's heart of compassion for those in misery because we need it in order to live. We ask for mercy because the earth is running out of it. If it were a natural resource, it would be almost tapped. Perhaps the reformation that the church so desperately needs is for us to become a community of mercy. At a time when, as a people, we seem divided by hatred and discord, when the crowds call out for no mercy, the church should always be a place where mercy is shown. When the crowds shout out, crucify him, crucify him, will we join in the shouting, our faces distorted with rage? Or will we be the one in the crowd who separates, who approaches our impoverished brother or sister, And say, as they said to Bartimaeus, take heart, get up, he's calling you. For it is time to take heart, it is not time to despair. And perhaps it was his defiance in the face of evil and despair that fueled Bartimaeus' faith. For he could have despaired, we wouldn't blame him for it, would we? 
He could have just sat there on his cloak as the crowd marched by. He could have said, as some have said in their lives, shaking their head in despair, nothing will ever change. He could have collected his coins and gone to a liquor store for another fifth. Oh, there are a thousand wrong paths he could have taken. But such faith as this man had led him straight to Jesus. What faith this man had. For he dared to believe in something contrary to all human logic and evidence. I mean, he knew the rules of the world, which bended not towards mercy, but towards cruelty. He knew that war, that war and strife and division and the caste system of poverty made up the rules of human life. But he dared to believe that the human rule of cruelty must bend until it breaks under the rule of God's mercy. Do you dare believe that such a rule exists? When we spend all day shouting at each other and drowning in hatred, when it seems to have the upper hand, when we can't keep track of the last mass shooting because it was already eclipsed by another mass shooting, Perhaps we should beg for renewed vision to pray before God, as Bartimaeus did, to see again, to see the world as a child sees the world, hopeful, possible, new, becoming, merciful. I think our old way of seeing things is not working out so well. But the gospel good news is that we can see again. All we have to do is ask. You know, for if there is any rule in this vast universe, if there is any rule which governs the very structure and fabric of our lives, it is this. At the very center of the heart of God is an overflowing fountain of mercy. It is beyond human comprehension. It defies expectations and all logic. No one can stand against it for too long. No one who is blinded by cruelty and greed and sin can ultimately resist the never-ending mercy of God. Perhaps this week, you too can ask God to see again. Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison. Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation for dedication is also given. As we hear the call given by Sermon and Self of Daniel, that we are moved and called toward God's mercy so that we might also be dispensers of that mercy to the world. I selected this hymn of dedication today 
because of two things. Uh, one, of all this talk about receiving sight, it was written by a blind woman, Fanny Crosby, who was blinded right after birth by a, a doctor's improper care, couldn't see for the rest of her life, but she saw in ways that most couldn't. And she wrote this hymn that has this beautiful line, Can I doubt God's tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? That's what we will claim. Let's stand together and sing. Each time we gather, we bring announcements and celebrations and concerns, and I have all of those for you this morning. Um, first, uh, we have Trunk or Treat tonight uh, at 5 p.m. The information concerning that is on the back of your order of service. Uh, we're still in need of, of some volunteers, especially for parking lot attendant. So if you feel moved by the Holy Spirit to guard the parking lot, please come forward at 5 um, the weather's going to be great. I was nervous about that, but 
0% chance of rain. Watch, I've jinxed it now. We do have a celebration amidst all the pain. Hal and Joe Meeks are grandparents again. Their second grandchild and first grandson, born yesterday, Maddox Stafford Yee. 9.2 pounds, 22.5 inches long, son to Chang and Lanier. Hal said, I'm a giddy grandpa. We rejoice with you. We have our own concerns in this congregation. Prayers for Betty Jean Evans, sister of Carolyn Herndon. Betty Jean's son, Ed, died in his sleep last Friday, leaving behind two children. We pray for them. We pray for Becky Dunnigan, mother to Marie Cook, who was admitted to the ER for chest pains last evening. They are there with her now. And we pray for the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, all those touched by the pain that you heard through the news and today. May God be with them. There will be a gathering at the temple here in Atlanta of area clergy. James and I will be there Tuesday morning to offer our solidarity with the Jewish community. May they be in our prayers this week. The hymn, the offertory hymn that you're about to hear by Ralph Vaughn Williams, setting a verse from Psalm 34 to music. O taste and see how gracious the Lord is. May we see now.
O holy God, as our our prayers rise, on this day they sometimes taste giddy. With giddy grandfathers and grandmothers of a new life that's come into the world, it must mean that you're not finished with this old world yet. Sometimes our prayers taste like grief in the cruel tears that fall about the death in our world. Sometimes it tastes like gratitude as we give thanks that through all this you somehow love us and encourage us and strengthen us. Now receive these tithes and offerings. Do more of all that in the world with them and us. In Christ's name, amen. And so on this Reformation Sunday, as we prepare to go, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.